You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Hey, let's let's talk about eight hours or less writing faithful sermons faster by Ryan. You think it's Hughley or Hughley? Definitely Hughley. Hughley? I don't know. People yeah. like to like silence D- consonants. Like D.L. Hughley? Yes. Um, the forward is by James McDonald, and he was referenced often in this book. Uh, obviously I think Ryan either, I think served at that church at some point or yeah, I think he, he served there for a while, but he has a good relationship with him. But okay. So let me begin by saying this, this, this book, when I forgot which one of us recommended it, I think it was Tim actually. Um, it was you, Jeff that recommended it. Oh, for sure. I looked at the title of this book and then when it came in, I saw how thin it was and I rolled my eyes. I yeah. was like, I, I was like, this book is going to be so dumb. Saw the t- first time I saw the title, <laughs> I was like, I'm suspicious of this. This and is I remember pop out lazy book. And I shared it on Instagram, and I got such diverse responses. Some people were like, Oh, this that's such a good book. Um, I can't wait to hear how you respond to it. Pe- people who've read it said, uh, Oh no, some people who've said who had just read the title told me it takes you eight hours to write a sermon and i was like and then and then there there were some people who said oh there's no way you can write a sermon in eight hours like this is way too quick yeah to write a faithful sermon there's no way so that's always the caveat too right well i mean you could write a bad sermon (laughs) if you want so I, i i rolled my eyes i picked up this book i started reading it it's phenomenal. It's it's really really good. Um, it doesn't do some things, which I'll talk about in a second. Yeah. I wish it did. I wish it did some other stuff. But what it does do is one. It begins by outlining fa- what a faithful sermon is, and I think it, he does a really good job of outlining what a faithful sermon is and talking about how it, it needs to be. I I I, uh, I should open the book and tell you what it is. It talks about how See, it. I- I got the what? audiobook, so I can't actually pull up and tell you anything. <laughs> Fortunately, somebody outlined everything really well for me, so I have yeah, it yeah. all in writing over here. You're welcome. Uh, a faithful sermon is Christ-centered, culturally contextualized, directed to the whole person, proclaimed boldly. I think those are the, 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 what it is. And and like the, the the vibe I get from Ryan is that he's an expositional guy. He's an exegetical guy. And he just wants to like faithfully preach the scriptures. And he has come up with kind of like a strategy to make sure you do that with all within the confines of eight hours. Now, whether you can actually do all of eight hours would be really impressive, but he, he has come up with a strategy. So anyways, I say that my overall perspective of the book was I rolled my eyes when I first saw it. And then when I actually dived into it, I loved it. What were your thoughts as you read the book or listened to the book, Andrew? Uh, very similar where it started off as like, okay, this is, you know, so often you have those books that's like, here's a problem that I faced and how I solved it. And you can too. <laughs> and, it, and it sounds kind of like, like a, you need like to a do voiceover work with that exact tone. Cause it's so good every time you do it. <laughs> but it's, that's kind of what I was expecting it to be like a yay, rah, rah. Here's my very contextual issue and how I fixed it for me. Um, but that wasn't it at all. It was not a one-stop, one-fix-for-everybody kind of system, which is what you know my gut instinct was when I read the title. 
So um, yeah, I I enjoyed it, and you know, there's there's things and that that I'm gonna take and use from it, and there's other things that I'm gonna like. Hey, that was probably work out great for somebody on a church that was a little bit different than mine or whatever else. But all in all, it it was a really easy read, and yeah. you know, I had it on audiobook, and so it was like a two two car rides, and it was almost done. I think it was like three hours and fifty minutes or something in the audiobook. Yeah. So it's it was le- super helpful and not very long. It's less than 150 pages. It's a smaller book. You can read it pretty quickly. Um, and and he he's pretty concise. Like he gets there's not a ton of fluff. Like the last book we read, where I think we all agreed that he could take out half of that book, he, that whole like fake church yeah. thing that he was yeah. coming up with. If you take all that out, it would be like half the book and it would still be a great book. This book, he he doesn't have any fluff in it. He just kind of gets to the point, which I think was good. I, I mean, my reaction was well, I read this book a long, I don't know, maybe I think I read it right. I was listening to his podcast a few years ago, and I think I read it right when it came out. And I was pretty suspicious at first, but because I had heard him talking about that and other ministry stuff on his podcast, I was like, I'll give it a shot. And I would say for me, like I always find myself looking for, I have this temptation where I'm going to like find the perfect system and then I'll just do that forever and it'll be great and it'll solve all my problems. And so my temptation when I read books like this is to kind of put that kind of pressure and hope on it. Like, Ooh, if I just do this, then I can. And I mean, I think if you read this book with that expectation, it's a little much. Um, but if you read this book with like the expectation of like eight ish hours a week would be great. And his whole point um, from, I think in the intro, and then I've heard him talk about it is just like, uh, there's other things a pastor needs to be able to do. And if you're mm-hmm. spending all of your time just in your office reading commentaries and writing you're not at, like you're not with anybody else and frankly uh those of us who are in you know different kinds of churches like in my situation a smaller church there's just other stuff i need to give my attention to visitation uh you know even stuff around my building sometimes and i just don't have 30 hours a week to put into sermon prep and i don't think they would be that much better you know, I don't think they would be that much better for the people that I'm preaching to more than what um, he outlines in the book. So I, I think the book is a really helpful sort of framework. But, you know, mm. my temptation to see it as like the end all be all rules. And if I just follow these and I'll spit out great sermons every week, sometimes it's going to take me 12 hours. Sometimes sometimes it might take me six hours. If it's a text yeah. I'm real familiar with or, <clears throat> or, or, you know, there's just texts that are easier. Some texts are just like if you preach out of the epistles, sometimes it's just like, Super simple. Outlined Here's for what you. it is, Thanks, Paul. Here's yeah. what we do. Therefore, do this. You know, so I think it's a good, it's a great book. Even if you disagree with it, it's good to give you some ideas. Jeff, um, I agree with you. Um, did you have you ever heard him preach? I've never heard him preach before. Yeah, I see. Josh said that. I I have a few times, and it does seem like he follows this, uh, this this sort of outline. Uh, are his you know, are his are his introductions? Just great because that's what he talked. He spent like he spent the um, whole chapter. I mean, in there. I've only I I would say I've listened to a maximum of like a handful <laughs> sure. of his sermons, and I will say all of his introductions uh, didn't seem off the cuff. They seemed well written, and they they seemed to really flow into the you know what the sermon was about. So I, I thought, yeah, it seems like this is something that he practices. Yeah, I I was listening to a podcast called. Um, I mean, we've talked about this in the show before. The Holy Post is the guy from the, the creator of Veggie Tales runs it or whatever. 
um, he had a guy named Scott McKnight on one of his most recent episodes, and he was talking about a church called Tove. If if yeah. Are you guys familiar with mm-hmm. that? And it was actually about another church in Chicago, ironically. But one thing he talks about, I think he's, I think he's Anglican. Um, and he talks about how in the Anglican church, the main point of the service is not the sermon, or at least people don't go to church for the sermon being the main thing. I think, yeah. I think he would say probably the, 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 the Lord's supper would probably be the main thing or something, mm. but it, it, I don't know. The I'm Eucharist, not, Frank. Yeah. The, the, the Eucharist. Anglican church, we call it the Eucharist. Yes, they Come would on. say that. And the majority of Christians throughout the history of the world would also say that. Yeah, Sure. And, and I'm not Anglican and I'm not necessarily, and we don't, we're not a church that practices the Lord's supper every Sunday, but it did make me think about um, the purpose of a message and the sermon in the context of the church as, as like, what is the main reason why we have the church and what's the express purpose for the church. And, and, and one thing I think I can find value in this book is reorienting the, um, the, the time you have in the week to actually care for the church and pour yeah. into the people and serve as opposed to spending 25, 30 hours in your study working on a message. And I think like, if I could figure out this kind of framework that he has, I can, I can maybe be able to, to still produce quality sermons while not spending most of my week trying to produce a quality sermon. Does that make sense? So b- before we dive into the book, what is your, what is your prep currently? Like what's your, yeah, this, Josh this is, is asking, how do I we already do anything similar to what he wrote about and I, uh james I, I love what your comment i that's exactly one of my points that i want to bring out but um yeah i would say i try to I, I currently try to break up my sermon prep i don't try to do it all in like one day um sometimes that happens but uh i try to like in my weekly plan i try to start my sermon on uh monday or tuesday at the latest and my goal every week is to be done with the sermon on thursday at five o'clock like when i go home thursday sermon's done uh, and then I Friday is kind of a, a brain rest day. I might do some other things, but mostly I'm off that day. And then Saturday evening, I'll look over my notes again. And Sunday morning, I get up pretty early, like five, and come to the church building and just spend the morning praying and looking through the sermon. So some of the things that he talked about, especially like on the, the towards the end of the week, are things that I kind of was already doing, uh, just not with a systematized kind of approach like him. What about you, Andrew? So like t- by by Tuesday night... I like to have the, you know, the, the main thought, you know, that the one sentence, here's the, the one summer, the one sentence summary. Cause that way I can get to my worship leaders. Hey, here's the text. Here's the one sentence summary to help them pick songs. And, you know, so Monday afternoon, about the time that we finish doing this on Mondays, um, I, I get a two or three hours of the study. You know, you read through the text, the idea of writing out the text each and every week, that would give me anxiety. I've got terrible handwriting in my, yeah. I, I don't know the last time I wrote out anything longer than a sticky note by hand. So that would that would be weird for me. But so I, I study Monday, Tuesday. I try to have the sermon written by Thursday. And then Saturday night, I, when I'm going over my notes, I build my slides on Saturday night, usually after my wife and kids are in bed. That's my get the get the slides ready as I'm going over the notes. Yeah, I, I, gen- I generally speaking, I yeah, don't right. really even use a lot of slides, but I think that's just, I, I, I do. And I don't know if, I don't know why or when I started really using slides heavily, but to the point where I, I might use too many, I, whatever scripture I have is on a slide, which I know you're like, Hey, people should have their, their own Bibles and they should, but 
not everyone's going to have a Bible with them. And that way, if someone has an ESV and I'm preaching out of NIV or vice versa, whatever the phrasing is, is on the, what, that I'm using is on the screens that way. Or if I'm jumping and saying, hey, maybe you memorize the verse in this ver- translation when you were growing up, you, it's easier to go back and forth with multiple if I have them on slides. And then that's also just my way of going through the notes yeah. um, on Saturday night to build my slides so that, cause that way I'm super familiar with it. So, um, you made me think about the worship team and so they can be, you know, they can have an idea of what songs to do. So my church, when we pick a book of the Bible to preach through that's done several, several months before the first sermon and they, they figure out what every, like how they're going to break down the book because we have a, a study guide that we have our entire church go through during our small group season. So and so all it. the, all the questions and all the verses are already broken out. So we know probably about seven months in advance, kind of all the verses, when, what Sunday they're going to be preached on and, and, and which preacher in our system is going to preach those verses. So the worship team kind of already knows, okay, woman at the well, these are the kind of songs we could, that would might go well for that. So on Monday I'm doing somewhat similar to what this guy does. He, pray. I don't write out the text like you, Andrew, but I, I, I think I got this from the Peroni on my preaching class. Like, I think he said, until you've read the, the passage you're preaching 10 times in a row, don't start writing anything for your sermon. I, I that's like the kind of like, maybe like a superstition type, type of thing that I've learned over the years. So I literally seven though. <laughs> yeah, surprise, <laughs> I think, I think, it, I think he was trying to speak in hyperbole, like read it 30 times or something, but yeah. I try to read the passage 10 times um, and in that 10 times, I try to read also before and after context, try to get more out of it. And then um, I try to outline in my mind, just based on what I'm reading, an outline of like what I think the text is trying to say. I, I write some observations, like if there's something repeated, all that kind of stuff, questions to answer. And then I do try to get into a commentary. Um, where's my John? Oh, I'm I'm sitting on it. So there's like, there's, I always have one commentary that I kind of, an XGO commentary I go from, and I go to Lagos because I like to hear what Calvin or Spurgeon have to say on something or whatever. And and so my first day, I'm just trying to come up with an outline of what I, I think the sermon's going to go. And then on Tuesday, I try to put a lot more meat to it. And here's the point. By Wednesday at the end of the day, I want to have all my slides that are going to go on the screen ready. So I have to send an email to um, my graphic designer guy at my church to be able to make the slides. Then the one thing... So, so there's, we're going to talk about this, like having people speak into your sermon. That's something that I want to have of right now. Every week I meet with my lead pastor, who's also on the preaching team. And we kind of share like kind of where we're going and we speak into it. But I really wish I would build a team of people, my volunteers to do that. And I think that's a long-term goal after reading this book. I think that's a super great, a super, like, I think it's, it's a great it's goal. A great idea. And then on Thursday at two two fifteen two thirty. Um, I preach my sermon that's going to be on Sunday to a room full of pastors that are on staff and they critique my message. And, and so they tell me, well, we've talked about this before. They kind of tell me what works, what doesn't work, all that kind of stuff. And then sometime between Thursday and Sunday morning, I kind of refine it. And then I do, I don't know if you, I think we talked about this. Do any of you do like a, an out loud run through of your sermon before Sunday for time or anything? I, I do. Never. Yeah. I mean, I, I usually almost preach the whole sermon and I do it like as if I'm preaching either where I'm sitting right now uh, or I'll go in the room and just do it in there and I'll put a timer on my phone 
and just kind of, I now I've done it enough. When I first came and I was preaching the first time I was preaching every week, I did that every week, you know, because I wasn't sure confident enough to know how long were my sermons. Um, mm-hmm. And so what I know is that somewhere between three and 4,000 written words is going to get me about 35 minutes because I always ad lib things. I like, I always say things in the moment that like somebody was wearing a weird shirt and it just like, and so I'll, I'll tend to add about, you know, like two to 5% time based on me just saying things in the moment or uh, just taking longer to, to like, you know, scroll through some or whatever. So I, I know that about three to 4,000 words written in a manuscript, including all the things I'm going to read and the quotes is going to roughly end up about 30, 35 minutes. So the other thing I was going to say is I don't write out the text every week, but I do start usually if I'm doing, you know, which most of the time it's a sermon through a book, a series through a book. Um, I just got one of these ESV journaling Bibles and I just start, I just, it's it's almost the same effect as writing it out and make and making notes. But what I like is, um, and he didn't really say he doesn't do this. So maybe he does, but I can like, as I'm going through a book of the Bible, obviously the context is there. So each week I'm seeing what notes I made the week before too. Uh, and so that helps me kind of tie things together as we work our way all the way through a book. So we're going to hop back into the gospel of John in the next week or two. We've been away from it for a while, but this is like week 44 of us going through the gospel of John over the last couple of years. So we're going to climb back into that. So I pulled out my, my journaling uh, Bible again, and I'm going to just start doing that. So, um, in the yeah, chat, I, I do not go ahead, preach Andrew. through. I was like, yeah. I, and, uh, Dylan and I were talking about that this morning on the, the other podcast, just, you know, as him kind of a brand new preacher, um, you know, he was preaching to himself with the stopwatch going. And of course, you know, you preach to yourself in an empty room. Wow. That was 34 minutes. Then you yeah. preach the same thing in a room full of people. And suddenly that 34 minutes turns to 22 real yeah. quick. So um, I, I never preach mine out loud until Sunday morning. Okay. And that, I, I don't know if that's just weird on, on my end, but I, I want to come across as over prepared under rehearsed. Yeah. So yeah. I, I he says in the book too. To, yeah. yeah. I don't want to sound like this, like it's something that is robotic rehearsed or that, you know, I'm going to pause for laughter here or, or whatever it may be. My, my, my reason for, uh, for doing it out loud one is time because of, because of our multiple services. And because I actually, I don't know if we've ever talked about, I have to drive, to another campus to preach on a Sunday morning. So like, this is like, I, I'm on a very tight schedule, but also like I have found. And, and so I have found that if my first sermon that I say out loud is the 9am sermon, that sermon is going to be a garbage sermon. Like I'm going to stutter. I'm going <laughs> to lose my place. And that's the sermon that gets live streamed to all the other campuses and online. And so I have found the past few times I've preached that I wake up super early, like 6 a.m. that morning, and I run through my sermon, like first thing in the morning. Um, and and it, one, it loosens my voice, it loosens my lips and make, make sure I can talk well. And it gets all the stutters out so that by the 9 a.m. service, my sermon's better. I mean, I, I think it might be like a nervous tick of mine, like to be able to do that to be able to get the jitters out and not have my first run through the sermon be an actual sermon. Does that make sense? I don't think, I mean, I, I think that's a normal I thing. I preach to for... myself in the shower yeah. every Sunday. And that's good because the hot water will help loosen up your vocal everything up. Yeah. I think that's a normal thing though. It's just self-awareness. It's like, I yeah. mean, if you compare it to like 
the best athletes in the world usually have a weird pregame routine that's like the same every time. I don't think there's yeah. anything wrong with. And he talks about that too, having the same routine every yep. Sunday. Um, mm-hmm. So anyways, uh, I'm going to read some comments and then we're going to talk about some of the, the things we specifically liked in the book. Um, uh, how have you, how many preaching classes you took? I, I only, I just remember at Trinity, we took, I took one preaching class and one hermeneutics class. Yep. I don't think there was any other classes outside of that, that were like preaching related, except for maybe, well, the language, I took a, if you took a language class. Yeah. 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 I, and I, I think there was like, I mean, I did a youth ministry class where we preached, we wrote youth ministry sermons, but it was a youth ministry class. So it was like one part of the semester. I took Andrew, intro to preaching and I took uh hermeneutics as well, but I was in a worship track. So, yeah. Did you take uh, uh, a ton of preaching classes in seminary? I not a ton. So I had one in undergrad and in seminary, I had, uh, you know, Bible study methods and hermeneutics, which was like the intro to preaching class. And then I took expository preaching one and two, a, um, and then another one that was fairly similar that was for, you know, teaching, not preaching, um, which the, so one was from the preaching department. One was from the Christian education department and then another youth ministry specific class at, in seminary. So it was, you know, kind of similar, similar different outline styles in all of the different classes. So one was, you know, theological, Oh, you know, just knowing the different outlines for what different professor, what different teaching style you were going for. Yeah. And, but, and just so everybody knows, like you're the only one that's on here right now that has a seminary degree. Frank and I both just have Bible college. Um, slackers. Hey, it is slackers. It is. Not I'm getting long, my master's. Frank. I'm going to get hey. my master's. In. Um, I was looking for another book. I was going to say this because he, he said that, you know, his, his uh, preaching classes were like woefully lacking or whatever. And I would say that like, I remember I, there was some good stuff I took for my preaching classes I do think preaching a lot of it is like trial by fire and being critiqued by, yeah. by other people. Like I can't really tell you except for maybe some hermeneutical stuff that I, t- I learned from Baba college. I think my entire preaching ability has come from actually preaching, preaching some garbage sermons and then yeah, being you critiqued. Got, that's how you learn. You, you preach garbage sermons a few times and that's what I know. My, my preaching, like first, like real, real preaching class, with Dr. Warren and at Dallas Seminary, we had to, we had to buy burnable DVDs because that was the era of uh, technology that we were using yeah. at the time, and it we weren't allowed to use any notes. He expected everything to be completely memorized, so you're preaching a 35 minute sem- uh, sermon memorized. And now I like I am so married to my manuscript, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think different people preach different ways. And so all of my preaching classes were like, no, you have to do it this way. And then somebody else was like, no, 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 you have to do it this way. And yeah. so I'm, I'm with you. The way that you learn to preach is by preaching. Yeah, I by... think preaching is like cooking. The yeah. only way you really learn how to cook good food is to cook food. You get burned, you cut yourself, you make bad food. People don't like it sometimes. And then over time, you start making food that tastes good and is, is good. And just and like cooking, it, and just like and messing uh, stuff up happens less and less often. Exactly, the more you do it, and you hurt. Like with cooking, you burn yourself less, you burn the food less, you cut yourself a lot less. Um, but even then, it's still you're still going to have a bad meal every now and yes, then. Yes, you are exactly. And just like cooking, like along the way, you learn new things. Like, oh, if I add garlic, it'll be better. In the same yeah. way, it's like 
I, I, I just realized like if I practice my sermon at 6 a.m., my sermon's better on Sunday than when I practice at Saturday night. Like it's and just I think those too, small things. It's like eating food from different um, cuisines around the world. You learn how different mm. ingredients like work together. I think there's a parallel there to listening to preachers from other traditions beside yourself. It's like yeah. there are ways that, um, and, and just understanding that there's different, like Frank, a, a little while ago, you said there's a, some guy named Scott McKnight. Well, like he's a big theologian in some circles. Yeah. Um, and so it just shows you that like, there's very diverse, there's a very diverse, like, you know, expression of our faith. And there's different ways that people preach in different kinds of settings and different, uh, you know, even in the in the Anglican Church, they're going to do a homily, not really like what we would call a sermon, but there's something right. there that we can learn if we'll listen to it. So, I just think preaching is just one of those things, and you you've got to contextualize your people, which we're going to get to. But yeah, well, let's talk about it. What is so? There's a, a couple of different elements. Monday, write a clear, concise sermon frame in two hours. Tuesday, to finalize the sermon frame with a team in an hour. Wednesday, write in one hour an introduction that will grab people's attention. Thursday, write a Christ in a conclusion. Friday, complete your preaching notes in less than two hours. And then Sunday, prime for the sermon. So in those different things, what has one thing that like maybe you weren't doing? You're like, I'm actually going to consider start adding it to my preparation um, for my preaching. I think working with it, working more with the team. Um, and, and like there's there was like three or four faces that immediately came to my mind. Like, man, they would be great to just get feedback from. The hard part is like, how, like getting that on the schedule like when do you meet with those people um how do you Appar- apparently to- tuesday <laughs> apparently yeah um but andrew what you kind of said and frank what you kind of said you know make me think maybe that's a way i can do it is um and i would just from my worship leading background i would encourage you as a pastor to like know what the songs are that your worship team is kind of that, that they kind of know and that the congregation knows and then one thing I've done before is to give my worship leader um, here an idea of where we're going and see what songs he kind of spits back at me. I was like, Ooh, I think this would fit. And that kind of gives me somewhat of an idea of what he heard me saying in terms of where we're going in like a theme. So that can be one way, uh, one way to do that. And, and then, you know, if you can just turn that worship team into that feedback that might solve, you know, kill two birds with one stone. Um, because for me, the temptation is just like to leave that stuff up to them. And then we get disjointed stuff and that hasn't been working for us. So that's something I want to change. That's good. I, I, I agree. I think my, I think I've been wanting to have a group of people to help write my sermon with together. And I think for me, I keep running into the issue of, um, like, what do I need to bring to the table? What am I expecting them to bring to the table? And like, what, like, what should my end goal be? Because part of me wants to be like, am I going to lose my own creativity of my own sermon if I bring too many cooks into the kitchen type of thing? Well, I can but, guarantee you the worship leaders are feeling that way too. Cause I remember being frustrated. Like I'm not a jukebox. Don't just come to me and tell me what songs you want me to play. <laughs> so it is right. a hard tension to walk. Yeah. Yeah. But I like, I like this where he basically says like, have your sermon frame written out Yeah, and then making sure. So, so the three things, the goal of the sermon prep meeting was to ensure what ensure you're saying what the text actually says to ensure your thoughts make sense and to ensure you have considered the state of your listeners. And I think like those last two are really, really good. Yeah. And I, and I, and and I think it's like important because I think sometimes when you're writing a sermon and it's just you and your computer, sometimes what you write on paper actually makes no sense whatsoever. And you need, you're crying in your office because you're so moved. (laughs) 
Yeah. It's amazing. And, you, and then you preach and you, it and people are like, what was that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Um, <clears throat> I think the other thing like uh, uh, that he mentioned that made me reconsider I is, is the, is the, the value of introductions and making intentional mm-hmm. introductions. Like for a long time, <clears throat> introductions is like one of the last things I would do because I felt like if I can get into the text, cause my fear is I'm going to write a good introduction and then just write that introduction to be my sermon because it might be a good introduction, but rather I want to write the whole sermon and then the introduction will be the last thing I'm thinking of. But then he makes a good point. It was like, you should really consider deeply what your introduction is because the introduction is what gets people on the bus and tells people where you're going and so I think it's like, I like how he gave you some structure of like, you know, how, like, the, like what kind of introductions are good and how to write them. I don't know. I thought that was really, I thought that was helpful and making me value my introduction a little more than, because I mean, how many times have we listened to like a John Piper or, or someone and be like, good morning, open Matthew six, here we go. And then he's going to the tag. But the thing is that that can work. I mean, sure. that's where like, I read that part of the book and was like, I appreciate what he's saying, but I don't necessarily buy it 100 percent. like i think there's i think there are some sermons when it's appropriate to just be like all right if you have a bible open it here and just start going because i don't know I, I just don't think you need to have that as a rule i've i've had good responses fairly recently i'm trying to remember what the what the actual sermon was but it was a hey you know i spent a lot of time this week trying to come up with the introduction and it was you know like about disappointment or something but it's like you know but then the more i you know the, the more i was going to tell this story or that story, it made me realize that, you know, we don't need it explained to us what this feels like because we all get this. So instead of the, you know, the eight minute story of my kid crying that they were disappointed about the ice cream truck or whatever, it's that, you know, we've, we've all been there. We all get that. So we don't, so you kind of acknowledge the, this is where the intro would usually go, but we're not doing this this week because you know what that feels like. Mm. That's been, like my cop out intro maybe two or three times in the past six months and yeah. have and and they've worked yeah mm. yeah uh let I, this was brought up and i know i said i saw jeff wrote a comment like um do you manuscript or outline uh, or let me also ask this because he has a whole appendix about this like or what do you to just bring into the pulpit with you yeah or do you just completely like go no notes i have given up i, am, I have given up the sort of i don't know man there's like almost like a weird like no notes idolatry that happens in like preaching circles like yeah. you really haven't made it unless you can preach with no notes and i'm like eh, i don't know who told you that um <laughs> so i do manuscript i use seminary which uses that uh like um sticky note like way of doing your sermon where you do it in blocks and you can move them around uh but i also it's like so i use the blocks but then everything is written out so i write everything out as if I'm going to say it. And then when I get up to preach, I will practice that one or two times in my office, but I never, my goal is never to say exactly what's on my page unless I'm quoting something. So my goal with manuscripting is almost like that's the first run through. And then I'll go back through and edit some more. And then when I practice preaching, I glance down, but if you were to compare my manuscript and like take a transcript of me preaching, it wouldn't be the same. I'll phrase things in different ways and move things around a little bit and say things so that like what you said, Andrew, doesn't come off as like a rehearsed, like a script. Sinners in the hands of an angry God was read 
with the uh, yeah. manuscript being held four inches from his face. Right. So if Jonathan Edwards can uh, manuscript and it's not a cop out, then you can manuscript without it being a cop out. The the one thing that I in you know this might be skipping or going backwards. But one thing that he said at the beginning is you know kind of like the no notes. It's you know the exegetical versus topical. What's it going to be? And I love that he was like, Do you know, there's there's uses for both of those types yeah. of sermons, and you're not a heretic for only doing things one way or another. And that's one of the things that I really just enjoyed throughout the whole book. It wasn't like a, it was kind of like, these are my best practices, but faithful people have done it this other way too. And that's okay. Like the, the emphasis of the book is find what works for you and do that, not do exactly what works for me. And I really appreciated that because so many other books, that's not what you get. You get the, I found that this is how I do my best sermon sermonizing. And if you don't do it this way, well, then you're not being faithful. And yeah, that's a big turnoff. James said, bringing notes into the pulpit is like the waiter that memorizes your order. I don't care. I, don't I just care. want you to deliver the product. That is <laughs> good. so good. good. So true. James, that is now. Perfect. So do this, this is kind of getting into a little bit of the, appendix more than the content of the book but we're talking about what you bring to the pulpit uh, we've talked about this before um do you bring printed notes do you bring an ipad do you bring a bible what what do you bring into the pulpit lately I i've been ipad and bible ipad and bible yeah i all everything is in my sermon notes like all of my notes so um i used to bring ipad and bible but I, now i actually just bring my um my laptop so like I, okay. I I preach off of a flat like one of those bar top tables, yeah. And mm-hmm. lately I've just been preaching from my MacBook, partly because my five year old daughter has basically taken my iPad, <laughs> and uh, partly Same. because partly because the screen's bigger. And uh, Seminary actually has a pulpit mode, which nice. is pretty cool. Uh, and it you can like increase the font size. So I've just found that to be pretty easy. Um, but yeah, I, I usually have either my iPad Mini or a MacBook. My my seven year old like my kids all have whatever device that they've claimed. My seven year old uses my iPad every day except for Sunday morning. Yeah, and so Sunday morning I get to you know I I get to church and I clear off all of the Roblox and every game that he's been playing, and then I have my manuscript at size sixteen font stretched all the way, and yeah. my Bible cover matches my iPad cover beautifully. Nice. So I have my iPad in like TP mode standing there, and then. I, 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 same thing. Like my, my scripture is in my notes, so I don't need to be holding my Bible, but just to set, to kind of set the example of, Hey, look, here's a real paper and leather Bible that I'm going to be touching while I read these verses, which I realize is, you know, that's different for every context and culture, but for, for me and for our people, that's what I've been doing. Yeah. I got convinced. I was, I was gonna say I got convicted about not bringing a Bible to the pulpit for for a while, and I was like, I want to have a physical Bible so people can see, like, like, like it's a Bible, like kind of almost like identical to what your thought is, Andrew. Um, but the, but the reality is, is like like Jeff, my sermon notes, my my verses are in my sermon, and it's a weird, awkward juggling of like going to the Bible, reading the passage, and then going back to the text and my sermon notes. As opposed to just reading my sermon notes and reading the text, um, the reading the Bible from my sermon notes. And so I'm going back to just bringing my iPad. Um, but I will say this, he, in, the, in one of the appendices, he talks about 
buying a nice Bible and he gives like like three places to look at, which I've never thought like where's my Bible? My Bible's right here. Like my main preaching Bible, if I use the Bible, is a cheap crossway large large print of ESV Bible. And um, now I want to kind of look at these like bougie, you know, lambskin lay flat Bibles. That I mean, they have they're here. nice though. I got well, somebody gave me one once and they, I mean, I still have it. And yeah. if I'm doing sometimes, I don't know. I just, I feel it out. Like on Sunday mornings, I think that I've been with my folks long enough now that they know, like they've, they've heard me preach enough and heard me read Bible text to them enough from an electronic device that they know I'm reading from the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. So they trust it. No um, but there are times like when I'm doing a funeral or something like that or a wedding, I use a real Bible. Like it's just not yeah. it's not worth making a fight over it. But I will say too, this goes but I don't remember when we said this earlier, but um referencing like what uh version you're using. So I when I first came, I went ahead and purchased enough um like seat Bibles in the ESV. Uh, they were, I think they were like 50% off for the blue ones instead of the black ones. So I just got those. And so now when I'm preaching from a particular text, most of the time, if I remember, I will name the page that it's on in the pew Bibles. So I can say that, like, if you don't have your own Bible, it's on page, blah, blah, blah of the pew Bible. And then if you don't own a Bible, you can take one home. That's totally like a Matt Chandler ripoff from when I used to listen to his sermons. And I was like, that's a great idea. It sets the tone that you expect there to be people in the room who don't have a Bible and who are new and you're being kind to them. And I'll even say the whole, the little, the little numbers are the verses and the big numbers are the chapters. And we're going to be in chapter 11, verse two, you know, and that works well. Frank, you, I've seen videos of you. You use a handheld to preach a lot of the time, don't you? Uh, I did, and the the only reason why I did is because the, the over the year mic we had was touching my beard, and it was giving oh, bad so sound effects. Like, yeah, it yeah, sounds so bad. You but, gotta get one of those aerobics teacher mics, man. <laughs> it's like a big ball or whatever. It's, it's um, called a it's called, it's called a Gwen Stefani mic. I've yeah. got one. Not not good. The church upgraded their microphones, and so now they have this. It's like a more expensive microphone that does something better, and it doesn't interfere with my beard. Those mics are expensive, dude. They it was over crazy. the year. They're that will blow crazy. a small church pastor's budget for the year to get a country. Dude, it's wild how expensive. <laughs> yeah. And but the only problem is, is um, we have one. African but when you're American, trying to when you're trying to to use a handheld, it's hard. Hold a Bible or an iPad. It's it's awful. I was trying to make announcements a couple weeks ago, and it was Communion Sunday, so we've got like the prepackaged communion. Yeah. I've got the mug that Jeff is holding here. Like, hey, if you're visiting with us, and I've tried, to, and we do a call to worship with our announcements as well. So I've got a Bible, communion, and a mug in my hand and Dylan was preaching. And so I had the handheld and not the, not the, oh, yeah, it yeah. was, it was awful. I was on me. Sunday and I forgot that I didn't put my face mic on. <laughs> and then I remembered we had a three minute bumper video. So during the bumper video, I had to run to the back of the room and put my face mic on and come back up. So that was fun. You, you just reminded me, I had communion last night and I was fumbling around with a handheld mic and trying to open the little communion to go stuff. That's so hard. Oh, it is tough. You're right. <laughs> communion yeah. to go. <laughs> that's what i call it I hate yeah, those, yeah. man we've been doing it for a year i hate yeah. them. i mean what, my, what else are we gonna do yeah my seven-year-old said very loudly like was it last Sunday, the first night <laughs> of the month um no mommy that tastes like paper like, the whole room <laughs> heard them and it was great <laughs> and they all agree they all agree um Ever, there, no, that was the loudest amen of the day <laughs> um uh i, I want to bring this up and then i want to change the subject a little bit uh, josh brought up how you know he he does a manuscript i think all of us manuscript to some degree um the one thing i really appreciate from the book is he talked about if there's one thing you really want to skillfully write out in your notes 
is your transitions mm-hmm. because that mm-hmm. that's always the one that like kind of gets screwed up if we try to freestyle it um because he talks about how like the worst thing you can do is have three points and not transition well and and everything you're saying is so like i i have this problem where i speak at like 10 all the time and like i don't have very good like, transition and volume so if i don't have clear like guides in my sermon of like we're going to the next point or something then like to the audience it's like i don't have three points i have a thousand points and they're, they're, it's confusing and so i really appreciate that and that's one thing that's where in the back at the end of the book it's like on, on which i don't know why he does this on sunday that to me that's weird is that on sunday he he goes through his notes and he like highlights and does all the stuff yeah, that's to me, that, game for me. Yeah, to me, that's Thursday. <laughs> like, I, I thought that was weird. But, like, I do appreciate, like, I do highlight all my slides in yellow. And then anything that I want to slow down or enunciate very well, I bold. And then um, I have an iPad pencil thing. And so there are times where I will later it, write in something in the notes and be like, you know, exaggerate this sentence or, or take a pause. Cause it's an emotional part of something like I'll write something in there. Um, and I think what manuscripting does, and I think you mentioned this, Jeff is, is what manuscripting does is it doesn't make you read your text like word for word, like you're reading a book, but whether it does it, it like implants in your, it's the thing that he says in the book, it helps yeah. get this sermon into your soul, right. where if you're just writing the outline, you better be practicing mm-hmm. that out loud a couple of times for it to get into your soul, because I think manuscripting really does help you ingest what you're trying to say. So with that being said, I want to do some critiques. So far, it's been nothing but positive stuff, except for he does a lot of work on Sunday morning, which terrifies me. Well, uh, can I add one thing before we move yeah, on? Like no, the yeah, transition yeah. thing from my worship leading background, like if you want to zoom out broader into the whole service as the pastor, the transitions are everything. Like yeah. that's where, um, you know, to use the the other word liturgy, that's where the liturgy is really make, make a break. Like when you go from one thing to the next for people to understand why you're doing what you're doing really, really, really matters. So pay attention to that. And then I think I agree, like in the sermon that really matters. And that's where that would be like the art of preaching, like the homiletics part of it, where it's a skill and a craft. The actually the actual delivery of the preaching is part of the preparation of the preaching. And that's something that like I learned in my intro to preaching class was just like your, your tone of voice and slowing down and speeding up and the pitch you used, all those things matter. Uh, and so there, cause there's a way to say something with the, with a pitch that makes your words mean something else um, or yeah. your speed and all that. So that, that stuff's really important too. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some criticisms of the book. Uh the 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 one thing I would be critical of the book of is it. I felt like it didn't necessarily have to be a book. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like I felt like I felt like it could. Well, yeah, no one's going to pay for a PDF. No it one's going to pay for as a spreadsheet, Frank. <laughs> yeah, it, it could be a spreadsheet. It could be like an extended blog series. It could be a podcast, like a, a short form podcast. Um, I love, how, I mean, he talks about how TED Talks are not sermons. This could have been a TED Talk, though. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, I felt like it's, 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 it's worth to buy the book. It's good stuff. But it's, it's, it, it, what it's, what is the purpose of is to outline a, a way of writing a sermon and you could pick and choose what you want. I felt like, it didn't necessarily have to be a book, but it could be like a featured article on Gospel Coalition or or something like that. Um, the other thing it cost me as much in audible credits <laughs> as a Harry Potter book that took me and my boys seven weeks to get through. 
And I listened to it in one afternoon. And it was and you probably, got, audible you probably could do a lot of illustrations out of that Harry Potter book, too. So Well, here's the thing. It was Order of the Phoenix. It's just uh, too long. It's yeah. brilliant, but it's too long. JK, listen to your editors, girl. Come on. Sorry. It was a Harry that's Potter. That's good. No, that's funny. I, I think the other, the other criticism, this is not so much of a criticism as much of it's like a timing thing. Like, I... I might have come from a different generation. I'm not in love with James McDonald. Like, I don't know the big woe factor of him. And he was mentioned a lot, like, as an example or a quote. Well, and obviously, it doesn't, it doesn't help what's happened recently. Exactly. I mean, and it also like, doesn't help. Like, it didn't age the best. Um, obviously, this guy has a personal relationship with, with James, it seems like. Um, and I know he's, like, a great communicator. I think the same could be said, like, if you had Andy Stanley, like, you know, like, like writing the forward, it'd be like, you have an excellent communicator writing this. To me, it just felt like I was like, oh, there's a couple of times I read this in light of what happened with James McDonald. That I'm like, oh, this feels weird that like this is being quoted. And stuff it like feels that. almost just like a name drop now, but like, right. Age well. Right. And I don't know. I mean, it's just a person. It doesn't really matter that much, but that's my only other critique, really. It, it's weird. And I, this is my critique of the last book that we did as well. And again, like I'm, I am very much a white guy. I, if you can't tell by my sunburn here, um, it's, <laughs> may, maybe it's like that. I'm in a denomination that is very diverse on purpose. And when you're when you're not around that, you I start to notice it. And it's like, oh, okay, we are only going to quite quote white men. And I realize that you know that's a whole other conversation because really, how many women preachers are you going to quote in a book on preaching and that depends on your you know that de- depends on your personal andrew it's a hot topic right now oh, it's I, a very i know and i'm and i'm not we call it the moment. <laughs> yes and i'm not trying to stir that because you know and i say it all the time i'm a little bit more conservative than my denomination is when it comes to some standing on that but it's it's when it stands out that you're only referencing people that look and think like you then of course of course they're going to agree with you they they look and think like you try to find someone that doesn't look and think like you to agree with you and then you know you're onto something but maybe that's an observation more than a critique i will say the back of the book which you don't have because you listen to it i listen you know, to like, it a, a lot of these books uh have like ads for other books they do uh have an hb charles jr book um on Ooh, there preaching. you go He's a good. He's a good dude. He's, he's a, a yeah. He is. He's a great preacher. But he is like a typical. I don't say typical Southern Baptist preacher, but he's like in that. He's group in of that type Reformed of, Baptist world. Yeah. 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 Um, I would say, like, I think that I like the idea of breaking things out into multiple sessions, but I think you could combine some of these into one day, like mm-hmm. for sure. Like you could do Monday and Tuesday together in three or four hours. And like mm-hmm. Wednesday through Friday together in three or four hours, two days a week. Um, the reality is there's just some days where I don't even get in and sit down at my desk for an hour. Yeah. Like I might be visiting people all day. So like my only critique is like this kind of, it comes across like he assumes that you're going to have a very set schedule. Uh, and that's just not the case for a lot of pastors. You know, our weeks are kind of wild, which honestly I enjoy because I'm kind of creative and, I like to, you know, um, flex and do different things with different people, different weeks. But um, I think this is maybe he's just much more of a kind of a system guy. And that's great. That's just not me. So, you know, 
finalize a sermon frame in one hour and, you know, write a conclusion in one hour that can happen on the same day in a couple hours. I, I think a lot of it was very helpful. I, the parts about the conclusion were the most helpful for me. Yes. But he talked about efficiency several times. And I realized that this is not a theologian that I'm quoting, but I was watching uh, comedians in cars getting coffee. And I don't remember who Seinfeld was with in this episode, but he was talking about the, the traditional writer's room on a sitcom versus yeah. what they did on Seinfeld. And he said something like, you know, efficiency should not be the goal. Efficiency and excellency are uh, efficiency and excellence are two very different concepts. Yes. Mm. And I feel like in a lot of ways, this is good for an efficient sermon writing structure. And we, we need that. That's like, that's good. You don't want to spend 60 hours writing a 34 minute sermon, but just because something is the most efficient way to do things. And this is very efficient and it's very good at being efficient, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be the most excellent way for each and every person. So yeah, efficiency, there, there are, like, I think efficiency is not the primary goal, but mm. being very inefficient definitely should be avoided. Yeah. 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 Uh, the, 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 I remember there was one bigger critique that I had that this book does not accomplish because I don't think it was in the view of this book is on the first day when you are trying to write one, I wish he actually had an example of a sermon frame, a bit yeah. like a frame. Mm-hmm. Like, that would have been helpful. That, that's not in the book. <laughs> like, he talks about how important this frame is and he kind of what? like abstractly points to it, but he doesn't actually say, this is what a frame would look like on this text or something. What, what, what frames do you guys, what frames do you guys use? What is, what's your typical, do you stick to the same frame week after week? Do you, I, do you change I, I, it up? I uh, I'm of the notion that the 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 uh, the outline of the text should the outline of the sermon should be the outline of the text. So like mm-hmm. wherever the sermon takes me is what I'm gonna be framing up my message. And so like I and, and it's not that I would disagree with what he said. And if it's like like you know you know every sermon has to have an intro, three points, and a, ser- a, a conclusion. Or if yeah. we're going to old school youth ministry, three points in a poem. Yeah. Or, 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 or if it's youth ministry, me we God you we right like. Like we could talk about all that. I'm open to hearing all that stuff, but mm-hmm. I just, I just wish you an example of that. And then the second thing I wish you had, but I think this is where like Brian Chappell's book on expository preaching would be a better book for this is like, what does, like, what, like, what am I supposed to be pulling from the text to be putting in my sermon? Because what I, I think the biggest time waster for me in my message is when I get to the point of the commentaries and I'm just getting overloaded with stuff from the Greek and, 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 I'm, and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much good stuff. Oh, there's a, a, a whatever that word is, like always mispronounced. The, uh, the, the, there's a pattern. The, yeah, there's, there's oh, this. There, a there's, a chiasm. Whatever that word is. Like, I always say chasm. But whatever, what, like, that's when, not when what I, it is. I know, I know, I know. When I see that in the text, or if I see how, like, like I'm in John, you know, the the Samaritan woman points back to his conversation with Nicodemus, and how there's two different. There's so much stuff there that I see. I cut at the cutting room floor, and so what I would, what I wish I could know, if we're talking about being efficient, is how can I know what is most important for my text, and not like think through so deeply, like do I want to point out these illustrations that point back to a Psalm or do I go towards, and I think he, he, he's well, saying I, being mindful of your audience is important. Yeah. But maybe he left it out on purpose because I think there can be different seasons in a church when you're going to point different things out. Yeah. You might go through the I, gospel of John now, and then again in 15 years, and you're going to have two different emphases. Right. I thought right. his point about, you know, know your strengths 
And based on your strengths, that's how you choose what commentary to use. I thought yeah. that was really, really good. Uh, Tim yeah. and I, I, I you know, t- oh, another thing that he said at the beginning of the book that I thought was uh, kind of made me smile a little because I'm the complete opposite when he said, you know, I love preaching, but, you know, I don't love the work of of writing a sermon. I'm I'm the opposite. Like, I, I enjoy preaching. <laughs> I'm excited to preach. But Tim and I have always joked since like our partnership began you know, six or seven years ago back in, in DYM world, um, Tim can take a sermon that I wrote, spend 45 minutes making it his own, and people are like in tears getting saved at the end of it. And I'm like, what the heck, dude? Like I had old ladies falling asleep in the third row. <laughs> you did none of the, just, I think there's there's different skill sets for different people. And I think choosing the commentary based on what your skill set is, I think yeah. was a really neat piece of advice. One of the thoughts that I had um, this morning as I was finishing this book on my on my drive in was there's a lot missing in this book, and I think that's okay because this is not this is not a how to write a sermon book. This is how to write faithful sermons faster. Yeah. So you know, Frank, you look you mentioned the me we God, what you know, me, whatever we. that outline yeah. is. That's like there we go. That's like the uh, Andy Stanley communicating for a change. I think yeah. you you pick a book like that. And you put it with this, and you put that in a 22-year-old senior in Bible college's hand. Yeah. And combined, I think that is a great yeah. skill set to have to say, here's a structure. or you know, And it's not just use this structure, but find a sermon structure that works for you and for your personality and lean into that structure. Because I, for the way that I write is I do you know, very similar to that. I have the... Uh, the way that Tim and I break it up, it's, it's everything is an acronym, so or it's all R's. So you know, but there's like an intro, a tension point, the scripture, and then there's application, and then landing, that that kind of flow in t- together. So we do the the real, the rub, the read, the ready, the response is kind of how how I break up my sermons. Um, yeah. But it, it's all that same thing. You know, what's the, Howard Hendrick said? Uh, hook. Look, book, book, look, look took. took. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So so they're they're all different sides of the same coin. Find yeah. which one works for you and really lean into that. Let's uh I want to wrap this up because we're almost at an hour. Josh brought up a question and I want to I want to throw this to you because we actually just read an article about this in like Christianity Today that I think um or I don't know what where I've read it, where we read it, but um it was the religion news the religion, the religion news article news yeah, service. Yeah. RNS. Do do you and and there's no judgment if you do. I just want to know how you handle it. Do you listen to other sermons on yes. the text you're preaching on? Okay. Yes. And then how do you if you do that? Because the book obviously didn't talk about that. Like there's no like read commentaries, but don't listen to other sermons. I didn't really say that, but that's the vibe I get. The question is, is then how do you um, manage to make sure you're not copying that person's points, notes, sermon, whatever? I guess that's my question. How do you not end up like that guy who completely ripped off Mark Driscoll? Is what I'm asking. <laughs> you, you don't rip off Mark Driscoll. Yeah, definitely don't make the same mannerisms as someone. Yeah, rip off somebody that no one's ever heard of, and it goes. Oh, you can go. Okay. Lo- <laughs> that's why I copy Just Andrew. <laughs> no one heard. Yeah, of, no one's heard of Andrew. Boom. <laughs> yeah. No, I. I like Jeff and I were talking about this last week when we were having lunch. Like, just like another pastor I heard said makes yeah. a world of difference. Yeah. You know, hey, I, I read that, you know, because every every illustration that we've ever come up with 
it's you've heard somebody else use a similar illustration at some point. There's nothing new under the sun, and I know that because Solomon wrote that 3,000 years ago. So (laughs) if 3,000 years ago there was nothing new under the sun, thank you. Uh, (laughs) Thank you, Jeff. But if if there was nothing new under the sun 3,000 years ago, there's certainly nothing new under the sun now. So I think you you lean into it. And I also think that if you're quoting other people and you're letting people know, hey, this person said this – then your people are knowing that you studied, you know, it's yeah. like, Hey, if, if they think this is all coming off the top of my head, what are they paying me for? Right. But if I'm letting, you know, I've studied this author, this pastor, this pop culture reference that I should have avoided according to the book, this, whatever else that lets the people know that not only have I been thinking about this all week, but I've been studying and I've put my work in. So I think there's a way to cite a lot of other people without being accused of plagiarism. And you just have to be willing to say, hey, this idea isn't originally mine. Yeah, I think that's the main thing is just saying someone said or this one commentator said. And I actually have notes like in my manuscript a lot of the time where if someone comes up and asks me where did that quote come from, I can just send them the link. Um, So that's helpful. But I think the other thing is just like don't give in to – I don't know where this weird expectation came from that every pastor is going to exegete every text like it's the first time it's ever been done. Like. No, no, we're not. We're and so. I agree with you, Andrew. Just kind of setting the expectation that I'm listening to other things, I'm reading other things. Um, but I will say, the only time I really listen to other sermons, and I don't, in, I, I don't think I've ever intentionally said I'm preaching from John six. Let me type that into iTunes and like listen to. I don't do that. But if I'm in a text and I'm kind of like uncertain about how to say something. Then yeah. I might go see if anyone else has preached a sermon and see, like, am I right about this? Or, And that's kind of similar to the feedback loop with other people, um, but it's just my way of doing it. But, I, I you know, you just I'm just intentional to, like, um, intentional to cite other sources because um, I've been burned by that in the past uh, yeah. in my in my college career. So, yeah. Uh, just, just, just to clarify, Josh just said, and I, and I do agree with this. Not, not necessarily listening to sermons for to for your passage, but like listening to other yeah. sermons in general. And I think we talked about that. And I think Andrew, you even kind of hinted towards that. Not just listening to sermons of like people in your denomination or whatever, but like listen to like a full breadth of people, even you, people you would disagree with. Yeah. So, like mm-hmm. I've said this before, I don't necessarily agree with the way sometimes Andy Stanley handles texts. But he's an amazing communicator. And so I think, like, I like to listen to him. Uh, There's a guy right now, we talked about it on the podcast, Michael Todd. He may or may not have preached heresy the other day, but but the dude can preach. And I I just, I listen to him sometimes. Um, But then there's also, like, a Matt Chandler who just, like, I know every time he preaches, he's probably going to nail it out of the park. But, like, I want to hear kind of a full breadth of different kinds of preachers to be able to, I think refine my own preaching style, I guess. But even but to be I, encouraged, like as much as I love listening to Chandler preach, uh, even their website says that all the stuff he did before 2006, I think is taken off because it was a little too aggressive. So sure. just understand that every preacher has gone through an evolution of getting better. And I tend to list, try, I try to listen to um, good examples of preaching from different styles of preaching. Because there are certainly different ways styles of delivering and there are good and bad preachers in all those styles just because you come from a tradition that values what we would call an exegetical sermon in that style there's a lot of bad versions of that 
Yeah. And there's a lot of Jesus was a topical preacher. Yeah. There's a lot of great versions of topical preachers. So Matt Matt Chandler says uh, you could do topical preaching as long as it's done exegetically. But speaking of speaking of Chandler, uh, this book actually says like, uh, what what was that quote? There has been good sermons that were long, but very rarely long sermons are good or something like that. Yeah. And like Ch- Chandler's the king of doing like one hour sermons. And whenever I see them, I'm just like, yikes, that's a long sermon. Nope. It's not a rule, not though. For it's, me. Hey. It's not a it's not a rule. You can do whatever you want, but you have to know your audience too, I guess. There, so there have been times when I've preached when I thought I was gonna preach for 30 minutes and I went for 50. And at the end of the service, I was like, dang man, I went way over time. Sorry. And people were like, I didn't even notice. Wow. And then there's been other times where I thought I was gonna preach 30 and I preached 30 and people were falling asleep halfway through. So yeah. Well, I it's think not a hard, fast rule. One of the other things about listening to other preachers is, you know, what's the first Corinthians uh, one, but, you know, talking about the foolishness of preaching and sometimes, and I've said, you know, the different churches that I've served under the least naturally gifted preaching pastor that I've served under was at the biggest church and there were spontaneous baptisms and people were getting saved. And I'd be like, wait, really? And for me, that's so freeing as as someone who preaches every week now, because it's like, okay, God is going to do what God's going to do. The Holy Spirit yeah. is going to work, and we get to be a tool, but we are not the power behind that tool. And so right. listening to other preachers, I think, is so good because, yes, it can help you with that illustration, and yes, it can help you realize that this style works and that style works, but it also helps you realize that this is certainly the working of the Holy Spirit and nothing that I'm going to do. Mm. Yep. That's good. Well, hey, we've been on here for a real long time. And uh, thanks for everyone who, who was in the comments chatting. We, we appreciate it. Uh, this book was good. Pick up eight hours or less. I actually just posted in the it Facebook It will take group. you eight hours or less to read it, I hey! promise. Way Wait less than eight joke. hours, yeah. Um, I posted in the Facebook group um, and a really, really rough outline of what I thought the author was trying to say of how we're supposed to write this sermon um, every single day of the week. Feel free to uh, check that out if you want. Uh, and like we, like the book said, and I think we're all saying, take what you want, do what you want, throw away the rest. It doesn't really matter. This is right, faithful sermons, and this is just a helpful tool to make it a little more efficient. So, hey, uh, thanks for listening. If you're on listening on the podcast, feel free to leave us an, a review on iTunes. That would be really helpful. And join our Facebook group. We do this again. Tim and Delmar, we miss you. We miss you guys. iTunes doesn't exist anymore. It's just Apple Podcasts. Yeah, there you go. And then, uh, and we're gonna pick another book soon. Um, we'll let you guys know when that comes out. So, all right, guys, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. See ya. See ya. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.